0: Yeah, keep going. We're doing well. Um, this is session number five. It's called Our Daily Choice. I think you can find the content uh, that we're looking at here on page 42 and beyond uh, for following it with me, for writing notes, for looking up later at home. So we've looked at. Um, Our enemy number one, the world, but we're going to look at enemy number two, the flesh, in this section. But I've got a bit of a preamble, hopefully I'll explain what we're talking about by way of flesh. Now, what we can be fooled into thinking sometimes is when we become a Christian that we will automatically do everything right and godly. If you like, like, flicking a switch, it's on. Um, But we soon realise that actually doesn't kind of work like that. Um, Of course, we want to please the Lord, we want to sense His Spirit in us, but we often find that we fail. We fail to live the Christian life we want to, and we fail to kind of feel very different some of the times. Some of our bad habits, they don't completely disappear, if at all, instantly. In fact, we can seem at times even to struggle even more with sin than we did before. It seems to have intensified in its struggle. Why is that? Well, what we need to do, and that's what we're going to do in this session, is understand a number of things. We need to understand what did happen the moment we became a Christian. And we also need to understand what didn't happen at that moment. And we need to understand how do we live by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're the three things we're going to look at in this next session. So firstly, what did happen when we became a Christian? Um, Of course, when we became a Christian, some amazing, fantastic, and very dramatic and instantaneous things did happen and take place. You'll see these, I think, top of page 42. Firstly, we received a new heart. Hallelujah. We received a new spirit. You can look this up in Ezekiel 36, 26, if you want to. The desires of our new heart, of course, have a new orientation. It's towards God. It's towards uh, him, not ourself, not towards sin. If if we sin as Christians, of course, what happens is the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. Ah, oh, yeah, ooh, I've sinned. And actually, we can be encouraged in some way that that conviction is a sign that we are saved. The Holy Spirit is working and pointing things out in our lives. The second thing that did happen was that we, as well as having a new heart, received a new life in Christ That really happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us very clearly that we as Christians are a new creation. We are no longer in Adam, we're no longer in the flesh, but we are now in Christ. It's happened. A transformation. We have a new life. We also, of course, have a new master. There's a new spiritual authority over our lives. That is now God. Uh, Because, of course, before we became a Christian, there was another authority spiritually over our lives, and he was Satan. We may not have realised it, but that was the fact. Colossians 1.13 tells us that this is what Christ has done for us. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. He's transferred us between two kingdoms. We were in the kingdom of darkness, where there was a king, Satan. We were now in, We are now in the kingdom of light. Uh, which has a new king, uh, that is God, the son he loves. So there are things that did happen to us, fundamentally, irreversibly, as we became Christians. But there are some things that did not happen, that we need to be mindful of. When we became a Christian, we didn't receive a new body. We kept the old one. That didn't change. Um, Of course, the core of our very being changed, but we're still in this stuff. The same stuff. We look the same. For the moment, uh, thankfully, there'll be a day when we all receive new, glorious resurrection spiritual bodies. Hallelujah! King is particularly looking forward to this. I know. Um, but for the time being, we still have this flesh and bones with us. The second thing that didn't happen was our flesh wasn't taken away. I use the kind of little kind of you know Ross from Friends quote marks bunny ears. don't like to do that, but. Um, I don't mean, I'll tell you what I mean. What does flesh mean from a biblical point of view? Our flesh, in this sense, refers to the instincts, the urges of our physical bodies. It's those urges that come very naturally to fallen humans. As we grow up, independent of God, what we do is we learn to cope, we learn to react, we learn to think in certain ways. And these old ways of thinking and behaving, they're primarily the ways of the flesh. And then when we become a Christian, nobody pressed the clear button in our minds to replace all those established thought patterns and urges with godly ways of thinking and reacting. The fact is, there is no reset button on our minds. Um, I was filling up the urn the other week for our Sunday morning so everybody had a nice warm cup of coffee before when they arrived and I went back to it just before everyone was going to arrive and it wasn't hot. The water was still cold. What's wrong with this urn? Um, and I ran around and panicked in a flat. I went back and found another urn at the office, came back to the school, filled it up again. Hopefully there's enough time to warm it up until someone said there's a reset button on the bottom. <laughs> well, Why put a reset button on the bottom of an urn? Don't ask me, I wouldn't design it myself. But anyway, an urn might have a reset button. Our iPhones, our computers might have a reset button. But our minds do not. Paul says this in Romans 8, verse 5 to 7. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death. And the mind of the spirit of life is peace, because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. So we have this battle, this second battle, not just with the world, but also now with the flesh. And this really is part of our battle for the mind. It comprises of all those internal thoughts that are hostile to God and his word, which have become our default. Our default ways of thinking and behaving. And what happens is we automatically go to those thought patterns and those habits unless we take active steps to walk by the Spirit instead. And that's a clue. We have to take active steps to walk by the Spirit. We have to train ourselves to think differently. The Bible refers to this, Romans 12 verse 2, as renewing our mind. We have to do it. We have to renew our minds. We have to choose to throw away the old ways of thinking based on lies and replace them with new ways of thinking based on truth from the Word of God. In fact, the very word um, that we translate in our Bibles as flesh literally means that. It's as it says on the tin. So the Greek word, I'm told, I'm not a Greek uh, scholar, is sarx. Which is used to describe meat from a butcher or flesh on your neck. So it's appropriate translation. I mean, it's unfamiliar to our, our ears, isn't it, in our culture to talk about the flesh in that way? Now, some Bible to try and help translate it in English as our sinful nature or our old nature. So if you see that in your translation, then you could also translate it flesh and. Flesh may be a better way of thinking of it because the word nature can be a little bit confusing to us. We've already seen that as Christians, we no longer have a sinful nature. We don't. We don't have a sinful nature. We have a new nature. It's God's nature. At our most fundamental level of our being, we are now, because of Christ, holy and righteous. That is the fact. Perhaps if if flesh is a word that's a little bit kind of weird to kind of get our head around sinful tendency may be a better kind of concept really than sinful nature or sinful uh, or old nature um, because what it's doing is it's, it's this, this tendency to pull us towards sin but what it's not implying is that we are fundamentally sinful because we're not We're not sinful. We've gone from being a sinner to being a saint. Now, the the third thing um, that did not happen when we became Christian was that sin did not die. Again, many people would want to ask the question, well, how can we defeat sin? Well, unfortunately, we can't. But the good news is God, Christ, already has. So the real question really we should be asking ourselves then is, well, how can we avoid going around in circles? How can we avoid and stop going into the same old patterns of sin? Firstly, it's not by trying harder. That's not going to do the trick. The whole key to freedom, in this area and in other areas, is knowing the truth. It's the truth that frees us, including the truth about sin. Because of course sin itself is not dead, It's, it's out there, it's appealing, it's tempting us every day to come and meet your legitimate needs In things other than God. Well then, the question could be, what is our relationship now, in Christ, with sin? how, How does that work? What is that relationship? Well, even though sin used to be our master, we were its slave, if you like, Paul tells us that now, in Christ, sin has no power over us anymore. That is the truth. Even though sin's alive, um, Paul tells us in Romans 6.11 that we are to consider ourselves alive to God but dead to sin. That's how we should consider ourselves. Dead to sin. Because the truth is, of course, that we died with Christ and his death ended our relationship with sin. So we're to consider ourselves dead to sin, as Paul encourages us to do, because that's the truth. We are dead to sin. That's why we should consider it. It's not true because we consider it. It's true because we are. You see what I mean? Christ has ended our relationship with sin. Romans 8.2 tells us that through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So you see, no longer does the law of Sin need to be effective in our lives. It doesn't need to be effective anymore in our lives because we have been set free by a greater law, the law of the spirit of life. Think of it this way. I went in an aeroplane recently to Austria and then to Romania and of course the amazing thing happens in, a, in an aeroplane where you're travelling at I don't know, what is it, 80 odd miles per hour all of a sudden the law of gravity doesn't seem to... Be having any bearing on my position in the universe because I've left the ground in this plane. Why is that? Well, there's a greater law. There's a law of aerodynamics, there's a law of kind of, you know, jet engine propulsion that has kind of superseded the law of gravity. And that's how it is for us. As a child of God, the law of the spirit of life is now at work in us. Before, Before we were in Christ, we had no choice. We were on the ground, we weren't going anywhere in the sky. We were stuck in that place of sin, but now we can choose. We are able to choose to use the law of the spirit of life to fly above sin and death. Top of page 43, you find it entitled Our Choices. And this is the nub of it, really. In life, as Christians, every day we face some genuine and real choices. We may no longer have. Even though we don't, no longer have to think and react according to our flesh, we can choose to think and react according to the flesh. Even though sin has no power over us, we can choose to give it power. You see, it's our choice. Nothing can change who we are in Christ as that, that's that's a done deal. But our day-to-day lives are down to our choices and the ones you know, that we make. And whether or not we choose to believe what God says and act on that, or otherwise. We're going to look at um, a passage in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 3.3. And I'm going to just read it out. And in this section, there are three types of people described. And I want to see if you can sort of identify them as I, as I read this passage out. And you can look it up yourself uh, on another occasion, if you so wish. 1 Corinthians 2.14 to three Verse 3, here it is. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man... "...makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you... Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Let me just draw out these three types of people, see if you've spotted them. The first type of person is the natural person. Or as it's described at the beginning of that section there, the the man or the person without the spirit. Um, this is someone who's not a Christian. That's what they're describing here. And you'll look, if you see on page 43, I think it's the second half of page 43, of the bullet points there that describe this person. The natural person or the non-Christian. The person without the spirit. They're spiritually dead, they're separated from God, they live independently from him, and they live according to the flesh. And what happens often is those kind of people can develop ways of feeling good about themselves. They can. They can develop ways of thinking that make them feel good. But in the end, um, those things won't meet their needs, they won't really have any mechanism for coping with life's challenges, and ultimately they'll have no right to enter the Kingdom of Heaven. That is just their position. The second person that's described, in verse 15 here just kind of kicks off this section, I think you've got it top of page 44 with a list of descriptions, is the spiritual person. Now the person they're describing here is, if you like, the mature Christian who has been tra- transformed, as we've been talking about, by their faith in Christ. Uh, they're now, in their spirit, united with God, in his spirit. They, they're forgiven, they're accepted, they're part of God's family, they have worth attributed by God, they have this new spirit in them that gives them impetus that uh, we move towards him, our mind is being renewed we no longer are in turmoil emotionally but live in peace and joy we walk in the spirit we develop the fruits of the spirit and every day we realize we're not we're dead to sin and we can crucify the flesh and live free that if you like is a picture description of the mature Christian the spiritual person and just looking at that description as you may you may think, wow this is a dream this is This seems impossible, but the truth of it is, it's not. It is very possible, and it's more than a dream. It can be our reality, even on this earth. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 tells us this. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You can, in this life, achieve all those godly characteristics, because God has already... By divine power, given you everything you need. It's there. Everything we need for life and godliness is available to us. And the third type of person, you might have picked it up when we went into chapter 3 there, is the fleshly person, or the worldly person. Now this actually describes a Christian, but a Christian who is choosing to follow the impulses of their flesh rather than the spirit. Now, it could be because they're doing it on purpose, or it could be because they haven't come to understand the truth of who they now are in Jesus Christ. Like so, what can often be the case is they're a Christian, but by their behavior, they appear to be like the natural person, the non Christian. Their behavior mimics that of the natural person, not. So much the spiritual person. And you've got a list of their characteristics at the bottom there of page 44. So their mind's got these wrong thoughts in it. The negative emotions that they still carry seem overwhelming. They're stressed. They look stressed. Um, And they're living in opposition to their identity in Christ. So they feel inferior. They're feeling insecure. They're feeling inadequate, guilty, worried, full of doubt. That's their Christian experience. And what happens is they get stuck in some sins and they can't shake themselves from it. They might return to comfort eating, might might be gossiping again and again. The sexual sins that were there before may still be there in their Christian walk. They can feel hopeless and conclude wrongly that that's just the way it is. They won't be able to escape those things. Now of course this kind of Christian, the fleshly Christian, the worldly Christian, they're saved. Of course they're saved. Nothing can reverse that. But what they achieve of any eternal value is very limited, if not negligible. And so when they come to stand ultimately before God and his throne on Judgment Day, and they look back, there's not much really of any significance or worth or value that uh, they've achieved. But they're saved. Top of page 45 explains again. What the antidote here is. It's down to us. It's down to our choices. As we've been um, contemplating, God has already given us everything we need. Everything we need to live godly lives, to live the spiritual life that we've just had described to please him in this life. Ephesians Ephesians 1 verse 3 puts it this way. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's all there. Read chapter 1 of Ephesians, you're blown away by the extent of the spiritual blessings that are available for us. So we need to believe that there's nothing more that God or anyone else needs to do for you to be free or fruitful. God doesn't need to do anything else. No person can do anything else for you to live a free and fruitful life. We need to understand that. It's not that we need to find someone who's more spiritual than us, who can then pray for us the right kind of prayer, some magic set of words, or zap us, and we'll be sorted on the freedom front. It's not that we need to go back into prayer, and this time really beg God for doing something more to us. What we need to realise is that we already have what we need, but we now need to use what God has provided us with. Um, page 46, we're just going to look at this now. We've got some barriers to growth. It's helpful maybe to look at these things as we uh, try and contemplate how we can grow towards these things. Well, let's try and remove some of these barriers. The first barrier is ignorance. Some may just not have been told about who they are in Christ, but this course and other tools and other teaching would help to try and redress that imbalance. They may have always felt that it's all about... Converting people, not making them into disciples. They may have always thought that it's about what you do as a Christian rather than who you are. And of course, it's. it's more than that. The second barrier is deception. There's a lot of deception around. Uh, Colossians 2:8 says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So it's possible that we are deceived. We need to be careful. That we're not taken captive by deceptive thoughts and philosophies. The, ch- the challenge with deception, of course, is not easy to spot because it's deceiving. So, but, that's, but we just need to be careful of those things. Um, here are some common deceptions that people think. It might work for others, but my case is different and it won't work for me. I could never have faith like so-and-so. God could never use me. They're the kind of deceiving thoughts that we need to be mindful of and remove as barriers. And uh, the third one here is unresolved personal or spiritual conflicts um, that can be a as well. In fact, actually, these probably are the main reasons why Christians don't move on in their faith in their walk. Ephesians 4, 26-27, in there, Paul says that if we do not, for example, deal with anger quickly... But let it turn into bitterness. Let it turn into unforgiveness. What we're doing is we're giving the devil a foothold in our life. Just like, if you are like, I don't know, this is, does this happen to you? I, I might be wearing my jumper, and my cardigan, and I'm kind of walking around the house, and my pocket gets caught in one of the handles on the door, and I go in the kitchen, and it pulls me back, um, and I have to I, I unhook myself. Oh dear got a hole in it, or whatever. That's what can happen. For example, you. If you have never truly forgiven someone, and we looked at forgiveness, didn't we, last week, who's hurt you, what you're doing there is leaving a door open for the devil to confuse your thinking, to stop you connecting with the truth. And if you don't close that door by forgiving a person, no matter how well you're presented the truth, preaching, teaching, courses, books, etc., you're not likely to grasp it. It's just going to somehow stay elusive and you're going to be unable to put it into practice. So what's often happened for people is they've come to faith in Jesus, but they haven't fully repented, and therefore their growth is stunted. Um, there's going to be an opportunity for this ministry time, and we've told you about the dates for that, we've changed it about, but it's you know Saturday, uh, Sunday the 8th of June. And as part of that, in a controlled, in a calm way, as directed by the Holy Spirit, we're going to do just those things. We're going to release forgiveness. We're going to come in repentance. We're going to confess lies and replace it with truth. And what we find and what we're really trusting and believing God for is that all of us will benefit from that process. Because every Christian will benefit from that process. It helps us to get hold of truth. It helps us to break this cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Because what we're doing is, we're not just agreeing with God, we're not just saying sorry. What we're doing is we're dealing with the footholds that the devil has got. So just as James 4 says, what we're to do is to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's the process we're going through. It's not complicated, it's very easy. It's not dramatic, it's quite undramatic. But it's a very real process we need to go through. But often we're not taught how to do it. And what's often found is, just reading some of the testimonies of people that have gone through the steps to freedom, is it's enabled them in a fresh way to experience and grasp some of the key truths of our faith for the first time. They've kind of known it, but now through this process they can now feel it and experience it and grasp it. Such as, God really does love me. And I just, whew embedded There really is no condemnation for me now. God does really want the best for me. I don't have to be frightened anymore. I'm not a victim anymore. These kind of truths just seem to be grasped to another level once we go through some of these steps. So we'll be opportunity for that, as I say, in the weeks ahead. Truth is true whatever. And we have to make it real within us. So how do we do that? This is the important bit. We need to choose to walk by the Spirit. Bottom of page 46. That is now our genuine choice. That's what we need to do. We've committed ourselves to believe the truth, whatever we feel. We've dealt with these unresolved spiritual conflicts. We've talked about those. And so just as it was for Adam and Eve before the fall. We now, therefore, can choose to obey um, either the promptings of the flesh or the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's our choice now. And we need to choose the right one each day. I was reading about someone uh, through the Freedom of Christ course who, uh, when they were younger, when they were growing up, they were largely ignored by their parents. This is some people's experience. And actually there were times when they were abused by them. And what the message that was constantly said to them was, you are a useless waste of space, as they were growing up. Now this guy became a Christian, um, but obviously he had a lot of pain from his past. And what happened was, uh, that pain didn't go away. And it drove him to alcohol, which in the end destroyed his marriage, it destroyed all the areas of ministry he was operating in as a Christian. But years later, he learned this truth. That the power of sin was broken in his life. Not because of what he's done, but of who he is as a child of God. And what happened, just just grasping that truth alone enabled him to walk free of alcoholism. What he found was freedom in Christ. And apparently he's part of the kind of setup of freedom in Christ. He's helping others to do the same. Yet this is what he says. Every day my flesh is telling me you're a useless waste of space. He gets that message from his flesh every day. Those thought patterns that have been so built up through his growing up years haven't instantly still gone away. So, But what he's learned to do is this. Every day he chooses not to listen to that thought. Because he, he chooses to believe that's a lie, that is not true. And instead he chooses to listen to the Spirit and walk according to the Spirit. Now, Galatians 5, 16, uh, explains it like this. We're to live by the Spirit, and by doing so, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are going to be there, but we won't um, gratify them if we live by the Spirit. So what does it mean? How do we walk by the Spirit? Let's just look at this, in our last section. Well, I'll tell you a few things it's not. It's not a good feeling. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does come upon us and we have a great feeling. It's a great experience. It could be joy that comes supernaturally to us. It's wonderful. But being filled daily with the Spirit is much more than that. If we're just chasing good feelings, then we're going to just chase new experiences. Uh, But what he wants us to do is take hold of what God has already done for us and to live according to it. Um, walking by the Spirit isn't a license to do whatever we want. It's not as if we can kind of just disregard all the guidelines God has given for leading a responsible and fruitful life. Um, you might feel that, well, for a while it feels freeing. I feel, you know, at liberty. But after a while you'll find that actually you're in bondage to that. And the question would be, well, can you stop it? Walking by the Spirit isn't about doing whatever you want. Galatians 5.17, Paul says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The two in opposition, if you like. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. They never want the same thing. The flesh and the Spirit are in opposition. Um, Walking by the Spirit isn't about legalism, or if you like, slavishly obeying a set of rules. Of course, in the Old Testament, we've got the commandments... Uh, And what those commandments did was reveal something about the moral character of God. Um, But nobody could live up to those standards. That was the whole history of the Old Testament, wasn't it? The whole point of the law, we're told, in Galatians 3.24, is to lead us to Christ. Because we begin to realise we need him. Because we can't fulfil and match God's moral nature. But you see, what happens is many Christians still believe that, or need still at least live as if they need to obey rules for God to accept them. Or to be a good Christian. But Paul says clearly, Galatians 5.18, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You're not. You're not under law if you're led by the Spirit. For legalistic Christians then, what happens is their walk with the Lord becomes joyless. It becomes like a trudge and drudgery and it's hard to keep it up and stay motivated but God wants us to obey him because we want to not because we feel we have to and of course when we see him for who he is when we understand what he's done for us when we understand his love that is consistent no matter what and we're still free to make choices every day and we do to please him that really blesses him Walking by the Spirit enables us to live a righteous life by faith. So what is it? What is walking by the Spirit? Well, it's this. It is true freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, the devil can't make you walk in the flesh. He'll try and draw you that way, but we have freedom to be the people of God that he created us to be. And we have an ability to make a choice, to live by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is to be led. Uh, Jesus said, didn't he? John 10, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Of course, our imagery of uh, of kind of a shepherd and sheep, uh, influenced by the Western thought, is that the kind of shepherd goes behind with his sheepdog and his whistle that kind of herds sheep. But that isn't the kind of shepherd that Jesus is referring to in 1st century Palestine of course, the shepherd went out in front, led the sheep, called the sheep, the sheep followed him. So the Spirit will lead us. Thirdly, that by walking in the Spirit we find that we're walking at God's pace and in the right direction. Jesus again uh, talked about taking his yoke upon ourselves and learning from him. And the whole kind of metaphor and picture of a yoke, two kind of animals kind of locked together is a very helpful one. He said that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You see, nothing will get done if we expect God to do it all. But neither can we accomplish anything that lasts for eternity by ourselves. It's about being yoked to Jesus, and in the Spirit that is what happens. Being yoked doesn't work if only one is pulling. Only Jesus knows the right pace and the right direction to walk, and when we walk with him, yoked with him, we learn what his ways are, and they're not hard, and we find rest for ourselves. And then the last little section here, how can we tell if we're walking by the Spirit? Well, in the same way you can tell a tree by its fruit. We had a cherry tree just moved into a house in Oxted, it had some glorious pink blossom. The pink blossom departed after two weeks, no fruit, because it's a flowering cherry of course. Um, but thankfully fruit trees give us fruit and when we see apples on an apple tree we know what the tree is when we see cherries on a cherry tree we know what the tree is and it's the same with us Um, Galatians 5.22 says as you walk in the spirit uh, what does it say Uh, Yeah, as you walk in the spirit your life will be characterised by these things love, joy, peace patience and kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control—that's the fruit of the spirit. And if you're living according to the flesh, it actually describes what uh, the evidence will be. And he got a list there in Galatians 5, just before the fruit of the spirit, verse 19: things like sexual immorality, idolatry, occult, hatred, jealousy, rage, selfishness, drunkenness, and orgies. Now, how do we deal with those? Well, in each of those cases, we just we confess it we deal with the footholds that the enemy has got as we've been talking about tonight we invite the holy spirit to fill us and then we start living according to who we are now in christ who we are our identity in him the whole trick is that walking in the spirit isn't something we do once it is a moment by moment day by day hour by hour experience and we can we can choose it the moment every moment every every day to walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And once we've understood who we are and who God is, then of course, why would we ever again want to walk in the ways of the flesh? Right, brilliant. We're going to stop there. We've run over time. I'll trust you, forgive me for that. Now, if you want to do anything over the coming week, do flick through those pages again. Do look up the Bible verses. There are a couple of suggestions on the page 40 and 48 about the things you can... Think about, but I think we'll stop there. Won't be another opportunity. I'm afraid for chat, unless you want to do that informally uh, before you come. All right, thank you.